Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. It's kind of like when uh, Dumbledore and Voldemort finally throw down and you get to see some real cool magic happening. It's like when they throw down, but only more of like, like more imagination involved. You know what I mean? With like the, with changing between animals. It's like Animorphs if they didn't take so long to actually go from morph to morph. Sure. <laughs> Join us next time for our Animorphs Discord <laughs> discussion. Man, we're going to have an Animorphs review one of these times. I'm ready to go. I'm, actually, I, I'm not ready to go. But when I was like 12 years old, I would have been ready to go. <laughs> What's up, Skinwalkers? Steven and Ben here from Phantology with a turncoat review turncoat is book 11 of dresden files by jim butcher so we're really making some progress now book 16 peace talks just came out so we're getting close we're getting close to uh to being completely caught up with ben i'm current ben is uh going through dresden files for the first time so ben how was turncoat for you turncoat i felt like this was if we were dipping our toes into the kind of overarching plot of the whole Dresden Files universe with the previous book, we're like jumping in in this book. So I really appreciated that. I, I appreciated the, the fact that we knew that the Black Council was going to be behind all of the drama in this book and we were, we were going to make some headway in finding out who those people were. So I like that aspect of this book a lot. Yeah, I think the sequence between Small Favor, Turncoat, and then Changes, the next book, they just ramp up one to the other. They're really good lead-throughs uh, from each one, and each one just continues to ramp it up more and more. So, yeah, absolutely. I think this is a fantastic entry in the Dresdenverse. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I would say, so in this book we have, what, it's a lot of White Council stuff. This Is is this the first time Harry actually leaves Chicago? I mean, we know he goes to New Mexico for the training stuff, but that's not actually, like, on camera that's just a flashback sequence, but we actually have him leaving Chicago. I mean, never, never, that's leaving Chicago. But as far as like in our world, I think this is the first time it happens. Hopefully I'm not wrong there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And he still, but he still uses the never, never to like leave though. Right. So it's still kind of like, he's not yeah. like hopping on a plane. Yeah. We definitely don't want Harry taking down a plane, interfering with all the technology there. So it's never, never over to Edinburgh, I think. And yeah, correct us if we're wrong there. Uh, join, join our Discord, hop on Phantology Discord, and let us know the mistakes we're making. We've been corrected for sure sometimes on these Dresden Files uh, reviews. I've read through the series once. This has been first time. And, you know, we do a decent amount of preparation, but we're going to miss details for sure. So if you like Phantology, uh, join our Discord chat with us, check us out on social media at Phantology Books, online at www.phantologybooks.com. Uh, check us out on Patreon. We have some merch. We've kind of got it all. So uh, we'd love to have you interact with us more and continue to uh, to grow the fandom here. Yeah, and we have we have two people on the Discord who I would consider experts who have, I know one of them has read the series 10 plus times. We definitely have some experts, and so we're always looking for more of that. Because the experts didn't like my opinion on changes that we were talking about. So, <laughs> yeah, you just finished changes, right? And you had some hot takes there. 
Yeah, I actually just finished Ghost Story last night, so I'm kind of working on bringing myself back in time a little bit here. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're a little behind. Ben is uh, plowing through the books maybe faster than we can even get these reviews out, but, uh, but we'll do our best here to maybe retroactively consider where we were at uh, when Turncoat, when we read Turncoat, yeah? Yeah, for sure. Putting on my three weeks ago hat on. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so Turncoat. Uh, let's let's jump in and, and talk some spoilers here. So I'm going to walk through the plot, then interrupt me, give me your hot takes, because I know you have them. Okay, so here we go. So the action starts after Small Favor, if you remember, where they had the showdown on Demon Reach. Didn't have a name at that time. We get a name in this book. But on the island, we had all that, that whole showdown. And now, a little bit later, Morgan, Harry's old frenemy, the warden who originally in the very first book had it out for him now morgan shows up at harry's doorstep asking for shelter from the other wardens because he is being framed and he is suffering from some wounds they find out that morgan has been he's been framed for the murder of la fortier i think the french dude the uh, senior member of the white council who was killed and he had a bunch of money deposited in his account. He was found standing over his body holding the weapon. So it's like Morgan's obviously guilty. And the entire magical community has it out for Morgan. There's been a hit placed on him even. So pretty compelling start. We're back to kind of more of a investigator PI story for Harry, at least at the beginning, which really kind of takes us back to the roots, right? Harry as a PI Morgan, but Morgan's now in a different role. So how'd you like the beginning of this one? I really like the whole Morgan being framed angle of this, and that's kind of what's driving Harry to investigate. I wish that this storyline would have happened after a book that Morgan was more of a, he's never really a villain, but after Morgan was more of a thorn in Harry's side, like when they tried to execute Molly or something like, like just kind of, put this after some some drama with Morgan, because it seems like Morgan hadn't really shown up for a few books before this. Yeah, we haven't seen him for a while, and now he's back in, and you're like, uh, which dude is Morgan again? Why do we like him or not like him? Maybe a little bit of that going on? Yeah, exactly. And I think that Morgan was a super compelling figure in like the first book in particular, where he w- really wrestled with his conscience around saving saving Harry and and his relationship with Harry. And then it seemed like he kind of petered out more and more until the story with with Molly, where where we found out that he was kind of like the executioner, and then he kind of started petering out again, and so now and now we're bringing him back. I guess it could have, Morgan could have been more of a presence throughout in order to make this book pack more of a punch. Yeah, I think that's a criticism you could have for Dresden in general. It's a different type of style than an epic fantasy. Like if we're talking Stormlight Archive, you know every entry. It's going to have every character and you're going to bring back every plot line and talk through them all to death. And it's just going to keep on going book to book and there's not going to be these gaps. But in a Dresden urban fantasy type thing where the books are a little bit shorter and the plot lines are a little more contained, you have minor characters like Morgan being gone from books and then showing up and being a major part of other books. So it's a different flavor. It's a different type of story. Yeah, I guess I could agree with that. And yeah, I think we've, we've kind of talked that to death. I mean, another example is Michael. For example, Michael is a huge character that comes up, but he comes up every few books. And when he is there, 
He's a major part of the plot line. And in the previous books, he in the previous book, in Small Favor, he'd just been shot and almost killed and is just kind of on the operating table. We're not really sure what's going to happen with him towards the end of the book. And then in this book, he's not a part of it at all. So, right. different. Same with Elaine. Yeah, we kind of have these major side characters that are major in the book that they're major in and then kind of disappear again. Which I guess, hey, that's what happens in real life sometimes. You have a person who's been a part of your life for years, but they kind of go in and out as they're needed. I guess you can't really complain too much. So I guess what do you prefer? Would you prefer the 16 Dresden books to have been condensed into like four or five epic fantasies where the plot lines are totally revamped and all of the characters show up in every book and you have this like really large plot with Black Council? There's a universe where that type of book exists, right? That type of series. Probably about same word count, page length. Yeah, I think that it would just totally turn the like change the flavor of Dresden. It would take it from being fun romps through Chicago to to immersive experiences where you're not really getting like coming up for air very often. You, I read a lot of those type the the latter books, you know, like with Stormlight and more epic fantasy. So I'm I'm happy to have this kind of refreshing, you know, one and done type plot lines. Yeah, although I will say, once you get into the latter part of Dresden, the plots are all pretty big now. Every book, the plot's getting pretty big, and you've got almost every player in every book. And so I think Butcher kind of has to be careful here a little bit going forward. He needs to preserve the feel of Dresden in that they're fun romps through Chicago and their urban fantasy. But at the same time, he's now expanded things to the point where everyone's got to appear in every book, and and you've got to really call to these big plot lines every time. And I think if a character doesn't appear, you need some type of better excuse than he's like, uh, this isn't really about turncoat, but like the book I'm reading right now was like, Oh, Marcone's like out of the country right now for some reason. And so therefore he's not going to be like entered in this book. And so it's kind of like, you need some type of excuse as to why you're not going to see characters. I mean, at the end of this book, we know Michael has an excuse as to why he not, you might not see him as much. Right. So like, I think that that's more that takes more guts for an author to kind of take a character and put him to the side intentionally so that you might not be able to use them for a certain amount of time rather than just giving these kind of one-off offhanded excuses as to why they're not there. Yeah, and so I'm interested to hear your opinion on what books 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 when you get there because I, I think we do see those larger plots and I'm I'm wondering how that felt for you, because it's very different than the beginning of Dresden. Yeah. So going forward into Turncoat, so now that we've introduced our initial problem, we kind of follow the Dresden formula, and Harry starts to gather his friends, right? Like, if there's one thing you can kind of... This is typically what happens in Dresden. We get a problem, and then Harry gathers his friends, and they fight some monsters, and then it's usually like a different cast of supporting characters, and different ones are more or less important. So for this one, Thomas is fairly important, and that's who Harry goes to first. He t- actually butters, is on the scene as his de facto medical expert, and then the plot continues to uh, introduce more enemies, and this enemy is probably one of the more memorable and cooler enemies in the Dresdenverse. This is the Skinwalker, the Naglashi. Mm, tough pronunciation there. Hope I got that. But I didn't listen to the audiobooks, so that's my excuse. Anyway, Harry Harry views this 
with his third eye, with his wizard sight, and it damages him so much just looking at this demon, at this skinwalker, this like ancient force. Uh, so much so that he has to run away to Billy and George's apartment, his his werewolf friends, and he kind of recoups there. He doesn't really know what to make of this enemy. And when Harry kind of surfaces, the skinwalker is there and attacks them and actually kills Kirby, one of the werewolves, and seriously injures a um, Andy, another werewolf. So, skinwalker, yes, no, your opinion, Ben? Yeah, so I'm going to hand it to Butcher. Because as soon as I read, or I was listening to it, as soon as I listened to Harry <clears throat> seeing um, the skinwalker with his third sight, it was funny because right when I did it, I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, you know, Butcher always talks about how you're so disturbed by things that you see in third sight, but it never really has much ramification for Harry. Like up until this series, he always talks about the third sight and he always says you can't unsee things and it's never a big deal. And so Good point. as soon as I thought that, he like suffered some major mental trauma from it. And so I was like, Oh, you know, touche. You know what I mean? Like you kind of, you got me there. You know what I mean? You, you fulfilled some of the promises that you've been making for, for a while now. So I enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed the third site. So, but butcher went back and read the Reddit posts on his series. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's right. The third site thing. It's not quite as powerful as it should be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably. So I, I appreciated that. I appreciated like how Harry, kind of coped with it with like locking himself away and like forcing himself to like confront it over and over again. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. I also enjoyed the fact that the stakes were upped immediately when Kirby was, was offhandedly killed. So that kind of set a tone for this book. Yeah, definitely a minor, minor character, but at the same time, whenever you have someone permanently killed in these magical books, it's getting serious. And before I forget it, I really like how um, Harry took Butters back at the end of the book to to fill in for Kirby on their D&D type, type game. Yeah. That really made me smile. It really made made me appreciate the dynamic between, like, Harry's kind of this bridge between all these different people and bringing them together, even when they're not fighting magical foes. Yeah, I mean, we are jumping way to the end of the book there, but that's a good point. It's really nice to see... Harry actually have a happy ending with friends. And uh, after going through all of this emotional trauma and, and having all this baggage, he's able to kind of unload that a little bit and have a little bit of a normal life. Yeah, for sure. So I, that was probably one of my favorite, favorite scenes in this book in general. So I think that kind of wraps up the, the, the extent of the <laughs> werewolf plot line in this book though. You know, I, I was excited and then I was like, well, I guess we're not going to see these guys again. Yeah, they, I mean, they kind of hang around, but they don't really have too much of a part to play other than here and there they help out with fights. Yeah, I guess they kind of come in in the climactic battle, but I mean, it's kind of like you yeah. don't really see them performing anything on camera there. So after, uh, after this happens, they head off to the hospital. Harry meets up with Murphy. Murphy is in. Murphy always wants in on Harry's cases. That's nice, and we can always rely on her. They go and meet up with Thomas and Justine. Justine's got some info. She's discovered that there is a hit on Morgan on Craigslist. So this book was like 2009, I think. Craigslist is appropriate. <laughs> yep, yep. That was super funny. Nowadays it'd be Dark Web. Or Facebook Marketplace, aka Dark Web. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, depending on where you go in basic marketplace, maybe. <laughs> so they meet up with a new white council. No, not white council. They meet up with a new white court enemy. This is Madeline Wraith, another vampire cousin. These vampire cousins are not too rare. Apparently, we've, we've had this happen before. So Madeline is a thing for this book, and she's a little mysterious right now, but she's essentially... You know, also part of this whole Morgan plotline. Harry also meets up with Lucio, who he had a relationship, started off a relationship with her at the end of the last book. And he doesn't give her too much information yet, but he does ask for info on skinwalkers. And then everyone kind of heads back and Harry finds Molly and Mouse and Morgan in this standoff at his, uh, at his apartment. Molly had walked in and, you know, she saw Morgan there and Mouse got involved. And so um, Harry has to go in and diffuse the tension. And I think this is the first of three standoffs. So this is kind of like a running gag in this book where every time Harry goes home, there's like a new weird situation to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really appreciate the humor in that too. I, I thought it was, I thought it was well done. I, I love how Mouse is always the adult in the room. Yeah, this is a, you know, Mouse is an awesome character, another, you know, minor character, but very lovable. And I think some people like this gag, some didn't, but it uh, sounds like you did. I was fine with it. I mean, the humor is a big part of Dresden, so we've got to have stuff like this. Not, not only was it humorous, though, it was humorous and it furthered plot lines and relationships between characters. Because normally when... Dresden Files is happening, you're just following Dresden and you assume that anything that's not happening around Dresden just doesn't matter, isn't happening at all. And so the fact that like stuff is happening when he's away from his house with these characters that we know stuff should be happening with it, it was kind of needed. You know what I mean? Yeah, kind of like in Harry Potter, everything of conscience always happens when Harry's in the room and when Harry's looking at it. Yeah, exactly. I love how you, you also have these Harry Potter hot takes from your Harry Potter episodes that you're recording. <laughs> Yeah, when you're involved in like 10 different series at once, they tend to kind of all blend together. <laughs> so the plot continues here. Now we've involved Molly. And really what happens every time and when these standoffs happen, every every single one just adds in like another character into the know. And so we've got Molly into the know now. Harry stashes them all in a storage facility that he's got uh, ready to go, kind of a secret hideout. This is fortunate. I don't know if he's mentioned this before. Maybe let us know in Discord, but fun coincidence that he has this ready to go for this exact situation. So then the crew, well, not the crew. He's going he's gonna to leave those guys there, and he's going to go to Edinburgh. Is it, is it Edinburgh at Edinburgh? Something like that. Man, I'm just outing myself as an ignorant American. <laughs> I'm going to out myself as ignorant as well. I don't, it's somewhere in Scotland. Yeah, he's going to Scotland. I think it's, I think it's Edinburgh, Edinburgh, right? Yeah, I think we're saying that right. Yeah, dang, I wish we had Josh on the pod because Josh has been to Scotland. But uh, we're missing him for this one. Maybe he can be the one correcting us. Anyway, we'll go Edinburgh. That sounds most authentic. So in Edinburgh, underneath the castle here, is the seat, is the home of the White Council. And I thought this was sorely needed. The White Council has been talked about. We've seen different members of them on camera. 
But up until this book, you're like, yeah, the White Council, you know, these guys are just kind of in and out, whatever. But it's nice to see them have a place and it shows kind of how powerful they are. So how'd you like our time in Edinburgh? Yeah, I agree with you. It kind of made the White Council have some, you know, some umph to it. It's almost like the Ministry of Magic doesn't mean anything to Harry Potter until you like have gone inside the Ministry of Magic before. Mm, yeah, yeah. If we're, if we're continuing on with that Harry Potter reference. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed it. I thought that, again, we could have had more, I guess, defined characters in the White Council that we cared more about and that we were excited to see on screen. That Well, I mean, we kind of have a few. We have the Gatekeeper, right? And then we have... Yeah, um, come on. You, you're The Gatekeeper is cool and mysterious. Injun Joe is awesome. He has a nice showdown with the Skinwalker at the end. Obviously, Ebenezer, Ancient Mai is kind of cool. These guys aren't enough for you. We do get Christos coming in. Christos at the end of this book. He's the replacement for Lafortier, who died. And Harry suspects him of being Black Council. So again, maybe Butcher's correcting this. You You guys are kind of on the same page, and he's trying to add some things in for you. So regardless of Ben's satisfaction or not, with the White Council. We're here for a brief time first, and Harry just kind of investigates a few different folks that we've seen before. Merlin gives him the file on Lafortier, and he signs, well, actually, Harry doesn't sign it out through Peabody, who's the clerk guy. And this was a nice little hint here, the fact that he didn't sign this out, because that's going to have direct ramifications for the ultimate conclusion. So did you think like he was here for long enough? He's just kind of pops in and out. And then later on, we go back. Obviously, Dresden is always fast paced and he never spends too long anywhere. So I thought it was okay that he didn't spend too long here. I feel like he kind of checked all the boxes that he was looking to check. He like went to see if there was any clues they could find to see the murder scene. He, you know, wanted to interrogate the Merlin, which he did. He kind of you know, showed his sassy self to the Merlin, which I thought was humorous. And so I thought he accomplished all of his goals. I was ready for him to move on. And it also fulfills the purpose of reintroducing you to the White Council and who the players are. So maybe you had forgotten that a little bit. And this is a good reminder. And maybe this is one weakness of this type of style because you kind of have to, like Butcher has to reintroduce these characters and go over some more basic elements of the magic because it's been a book and it's been a year since people have read these books. And so that's kind of necessary. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I kind of had a hot take on discord earlier today. That was like your 12 books. I mean, 11 books into the series right now, you don't know, re-explain what a soul gaze is, you know? So there's aspects of that where I think that butcher does a little bit too much time, like rehashing things, but players that we haven't seen for a while, I'm okay with kind of getting a little bit of a, a reintroduction to them. Yeah, and I think if you're reading these as they come out, I mean, you're binging them right now. That's the same way that I read them back when I read through the first 15. But if you're doing that, and if you're taking a break between every book, then it really does help to, I think the casual reader really appreciates those reminders. Like I'm starting a new Anthony Ryan, Ben Sorna book right now, and it's been a year since I read the previous one. And I can't remember hardly anything. I've been like scouring the internet for a summary and can't find a good one. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But like at some level, 
you're reading Harry Potter and he and he doesn't stop to say Expelliarmus, which is a spell that makes the wand pop out of your hand. He says it and then the wand pops out of somebody's hand. And so you're like, oh, you could say the third sight, Harry opened his third sight and immediately regretted it because it seared things into his memory. It doesn't have to okay. like kind of go into this like long Dresden-esque reminder of of what magic behind the third side and why that's important and stuff. You know what I mean? Especially this yeah. like, series. Okay. So you just think there's too much show don't tell or there's not enough show don't tell. Right. There's a lot of telling and then showing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair, fair criticism. I think we might see that a little bit. So Harry heads back to Chicago and meets up with Murphy again. They do some investigation they run off to the storage area because Thomas calls and says they're under attack. And they face off against this new player, this guy named Binder. He's a practitioner. So Binder, this guy can call up a bunch of minions from the Never Never and control them. I think he, he handles like 100 or so. At the same time, they all this like really uniform gray look to them. And we fight here. This is a fairly memorable fight, I think I remember this one and eventually um, we all just kind of flee after Murphy arrests Binder. Our heroes win. The authorities are coming and Thomas isn't there though. So something else has happened to him. Yeah. So Binder is really cool. And the fact that he's this B level player in the world of wizards, which is alluded to a lot and which we've, we've kind of seen, but I think that it's cool that these B-level characters are actually impacting Dresden in a significant way, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's cool that he has one thing that he can do, so he's not as nearly as powerful as these other guys, but the one thing he can do is, is pretty good. And so that puts him on a playing field that he can be a player, he can be a heavy hitter against a Harry Dresden for at least a little bit. Right. And, and you never feel like this guy's going to take Harry out. You know what I mean? But you feel like he could inconvenience Harry long enough for somebody else to take him out. So after the inter- interaction with Binder, Harry calls up Toot Toot. To, and there, the, the goal now is to find the tail, whoever is leaking their whereabouts to the hitmen, such as Binder. And so they track down to this Miss Evelyn Derrick in a law firm. And they find out that she has been mentally manipulated by someone in the white court and pretty immediately you're going to be thinking that it is our new vampire, right? That it's Madeline Wraith and it is. So um, that's kind of how that plot line extends. Harry, st- Harry goes home again and finds another standoff. We told you these were going to happen. This time uh, Lucio has been added into the standoff. She comes into Dresden's apartment and they all kind of assume that the other ones are working against each other and mouse is once again the adult in the room and harry talks down the whole situation everyone kind of gets clued in and eventually we just add in anastasia into our group of heroes <laughs> and you know with the whole anastasia i thought i was ready for a bigger camp blowout over the fact that harry didn't trust her from the start which kind of happened but i thought it could have been a little bit more significant i also thought that so Harry, through his gathering of information, meets this woman at a law firm who had had her mind altered, right? Right. Evelyn, Evelyn Derrick is her yeah. name. Yeah. 
Evelyn Derrick. And I, I thought that this kind of showed Harry's character progression and the fact that he didn't care to stick around long enough to make sure she was okay, which is kind of telling. Because I feel like Harry in the first book would have made this very attractive woman a high priority on his list. Right. You know, he sees himself as kind of the male protector and he kind of, he doesn't go out of his way to hurt her. In fact, he, he intimidates her enough so that she thinks he's going to hurt her, but he knows he's not going to, but he, he doesn't handle her with kid gloves at all. Even though she's really done nothing wrong. You know what I mean? Like this poor woman has been mind manipulated in, by a vampire. It was kind of a small moment of the moment of the book, but it showed that Harry has become a little bit harder and, and less willing to put on kid gloves for, for mortals. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a it's a total telling to where Harry has gone with his character. He started off as would do anything for a damsel in distress, and now the stakes are so high that, you know, look, even though we'd like to help this hot woman, we can't because there are other maybe Eh, equally hot women <laughs> you know that are bigger players that we need to uh we need to take down uh i'm kind of leading into the fact that we're gonna go now talk with lara wraith and the white courts so lara denies any involvement in what's going on and then the skinwalker comes in and attacks and the fight doesn't go very well but harry realizes that maybe the skinwalker is not just there to mindlessly kill but it, he's there to negotiate or something and that is indeed the case because the Nag- Naglashi, Harry calls him Shag Nasty. Maybe we should just call him, we should do that. As well. <laughs> I, I like Shag Nasty, yeah. Yeah. So Shag Nasty says, uh, I have Thomas and I want Morgan. And then he leaves. And that's where Thomas is gone. So that mystery is solved. I don't know, Ben, like, what do you think of Thomas being used as bait? Thomas kind of has a rough. <laughs> yeah. Thomas. This was a really rough book for Thomas. I don't know if we're going to talk about spoilers, but I felt like uh, something that Dresden Files has done the past the past two books has been to take him, take these very capable characters like Thomas or Marcone and make them the damsel in distress. And that is a brave choice because I never really believed that this situation would actually happen to Thomas. Thomas seems much more capable like he would be able to work himself out of a situation like this. And maybe that just tells you that Shag Nasty is a super capable villain. You know, it's, it, it almost mm-hmm. reminds me of yeah. when, uh, when Harry was taken by Nicodemus and how he bailed out, you know, in that case, Harry was the damsel. I kind of feel like it's a brave choice to write Thomas out this early in the book and make him the damsel. But I enjoyed it. What, what did you think about it? I'm going to save mine for the worst of the best segment we do. At the okay. end, because I have some thoughts here, but we'll get to that towards the end around Thomas. So Lara agrees to help now that, you know, her family is involved and Harry tries to follow the money trail. He goes back to the hospital to check on Andy. The werewolves agree to kind of help as backup. And Harry kind of goes through the process again of gathering his friends for a big fight that's coming up. Eventually, they they do realize that the uh, Madeline Wraith is the one who has been trying to uh, get the the drop on Morgan, like I said earlier. And after some more investigation, Harry heads back home again to find that there is another awkward situation, but this time Mouse has actually been shot, taking a bullet for Molly, 
And this, what's happened here is Molly has entered Lucia's mind while she was sleeping because Molly thinks there's some tampering that's been done to her mind. And Morgan has walked in on this, has seen this, and this is obviously a law of magic that cannot be breached. So this is where it starts to get serious in these funny encounters. Ben, your thoughts on Molly's actions here? Yeah, I mean, come on, Molly. And come on, Butcher, for making Molly be this stupid. You know, like, why... She was almost executed for doing that. It kind of seems crazy that she would be like, oh, but the ends justify the means in this situation when she has a freaking two wardens in her house. You know what I mean? I don't know. I didn't really buy it, but I did think it was a way of furthering the plot a little bit. I guess maybe what she's thinking is she believes that there has been some tampering going on here. She'd like to, you know, get to the bottom of it and help Harry out, but there's no one around that would believe just an explanation. Like Harry isn't going to believe this of his girlfriend. Morgan's not going to help her out. So she's got to take action on her own. It's something that Harry would totally do himself. Yeah. But the thing is, even if she did find something, a who's going to believe it B if she admits to it, then she's going to be executed. You know, so I don't know. I, I wasn't a fan of the scene, but it was cool that that mouse just kind of shrugged off the bullet, but acted like he was hurt. Yeah. And mouse was actually like trying to play up the injury some as well in order to help yeah. out the situation. It gives you an idea of how powerful mouse is. Later in the book, that's actually something that gives Harry some clout in the white council. When ancient Mai and some of the Asian wardens recognize mouse as like a, it's like an ancient food dog, Tibetan monk dog, something like that. Temple, temple dog or something. Yeah. Yeah. Temple dog. Yeah. Discorders tell us what that actually is, but that helps mouse or that helps Harry actually, you know, state his claim towards the end. Yeah. So now Harry and his crew of helpers, whose names all start with M, Molly, Morgan, Murphy, mouse, he's got them on his side and he's going to go off to demon reach. He's actually going to do this more on his own. But he goes to Demon Reach on the island and does this sanctum invocation that is basically going to increase his power level quite a bit by bonding with the island. He uses his he uses his new soul fire magic in order to complete this. He maybe doesn't know exactly what he's doing here, but it's going to work out pretty well for him and help him. And this is nice because Harry really needed a power up with all of the players that he's trying to go up against. So this was interesting because it was almost a blink and you missed it type of level up for Harry. And I had to go back because I'm like, wait, what just happened? Harry can like hear the island now. So I felt like they could have spent a little bit more time building up to this, this plan that he had to become one with Demon Reach. So I don't know what, I mean, what did you think about it? It just kind of seemed weird that it was almost, you know, like with little Chicago, they spent a long time building that up before Harry actually used it. And it just kind of seemed like this was, oh, now he can do this. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I can't exactly separate the beginnings of Demon Reach to what I know about Demon Reach now. So I don't remember. But in my recap of the of the series of the book, it did seem like this happened very suddenly. So maybe let us know, those of you who are more informed on Discord, uh, your thoughts here. I mean, did Bob help him put this spine together at least? I don't I don't even think that happened. He kind of showed up. It, it was clear that Harry had some type of master plan that he was like, 
gathering everybody together to the island for a reason and not just because it was out of the away from mortals that would be harmed but i don't know i i remember being thoroughly confused and then just kind of being okay well harry can talk to the island now so let's go yeah so maybe that could have been a little bit stronger anyway demon reach is going to be important to now because harry basically calls all of the powers that be thus far that we've seen in the book to demon reach he doesn't he has a plan he doesn't know who the traitor is yet but he's got this whole thing orchestrated and he thinks that by doing this he will basically force the the traitor whoever you know set everything up to play his hand and it's going to work out fairly well so he picks up his allies they head there he talks to the gatekeeper for a little bit this is an important conversation because uh the gatekeeper tells harry that you know demon reach is maybe not as friendly as you might believe and in fact it's not even safe for me to step onto the island so I mean, we're expecting more from Demon Reach, right? Especially after this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're expecting a lot more from Demon Reach. And the Gatekeeper, at this point, you don't really have much of an idea what this character is either. So there's two really mysterious characters, if you call Demon Reach a character, going at it. Yeah, it does seem like there's been a whole history behind these two characters that we're not privy to at all and that we're not supposed to be privy to, and that we hope to be privy to someday. It was kind of like, the gatekeeper makes this like, he held a grudge comment, and you're like, okay, there's some backstory here. And this is fine for Dresden. I think we you know, ex- expect this level of mystery. At this point, we've seen mysteries. I mean, in the past, we're still, at this point, we're still wondering, like, who is Cowell? What happened with Leah back um, in the whole Arctis tour? attack what's going on with the black council like there's a lot of ongoing mysteries so just add this to your list yeah exactly and that's you know kind of the worst of the best of dresden right like you kind of add to the list of the thing with dresden is with most books i expect these to be paid off in a very fulfilling way and with dresden it's like i don't hold it to that same expectations for some reason like i I hope that they're going to be paid off but like i've already enjoyed the books well enough that it's not going to leave me better if they're not. So it's like you think, okay, here's a mystery. I'd love for this to be resolved. But if not, I'll just kind of like chalk it up to the general mysteriousness of the world. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, if not, well, there's already been, you know, other kind of surface level mysteries that have resolved themselves in a very fulfilling way. So I'm just going to like accept that this might be just one thing that it doesn't get to for whatever reason. And I, I think that's not to say that we're saying that some of these things aren't resolved and we don't believe they will be resolved, but some of them are just more minor to the point where it's not quite as crucial for the casual reader to really latch on to. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost the point where it's more fulfilling for me to know that there was a backstory between the Gatekeeper and Demon Reach than to actually find out what it was. Just like the lore of knowing that that does exist means more than what that actually is. At some level, like it's almost won't live up to expectations, you know? Welcome to the surface level Dresden Files podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. I guess in some level, like the book I'm reading right now, or that I just got finished, kind of delves into Harry's relationship with his uh, mentor a little bit more. And I'm like, you know, I almost wish that would have been left alone because I had this idea of what it was. Okay. Well, moving forward, we're now going to all fight on Demon Reach. This is a fun fight. It always is on these big Dresden throwdowns. I think the real highlight for me was this, the uh, showdown between 
Listens to Wind and Shag Nasty, right? The shape-shifting duel. That was very well done. And when I was listening to it, it was like almost like watching a movie in my head, you know, like changing between all the animals. And it was kind of like the wizarding duel that you grew up imagining in your head as a kid. And you're like, just wanted to watch. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think they went from mountain lion to hawk or falcon. There was a squirrel or chipmunk involved. A turtle. At one point. Okay, turtle even. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like when uh, Dumbledore and Voldemort finally throw down and you get to see some real cool magic happening. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like when they throw down but only more of like like more imagination involved. Do you know what I mean with like the with changing between animals? Yeah. It's like animorphs if they didn't take so long to actually go from morph to morph. Sure. <laughs> Join us next time for our animorphs discord <laughs> discussion. Man, we're going to have an Animorphs review one of these times. I'm ready to go. I'm, actually, I, I'm not ready to go. But when I was like 12 years old, I would have been ready to go. I just remember flipping through Animorph books, watching the, like, when you flip through it, you can, like, watch the little bottom right of the page. Yeah, you can watch the transformation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was that was always a favorite part of my experience. Rachel, one of my first childhood crushes. <laughs> that, set, that set you up for a whole lifetime of fantasy book crushes, Steven. Yeah, yeah, it didn't, it didn't stop there. <laughs> All right, let's continue on with Turncoat. So, yeah, so, so Listens to Win is able to run off Shag Nasty, and Harry, you know, falls unconscious, and he wakes up to find that, you know, everything kind of worked out. Uh, Thomas was severely abused by Shag Nasty in his time with him. And he actually would have like preyed upon Molly because he was being deprived of his, you know, what he needed as a vampire, as a white cord vampire. And Molly was able to get a shield up just in time and hides from Thomas. But this is going to be bad for Thomas going forward. This abuse they took at the hands of a uh, big Shag. So I thought, okay, first of all, I thought it was funny when, Molly and Thomas still gazed each other and then just like went after each other, you know? So that was kind of a fun scene. Also, I have to give ourselves a pat on the back because last podcast about Dresden Files, we talked a lot about Thomas and his motivations. And I guess you might've been setting it up for this point, but I kind of mentioned that we never really doubt Thomas's motivations, but we know that he could be kind of pushed over the edge. And, you know, that's exactly what happened here. So we know that he's he tries to be a good person, but he has this built-in weakness that can be exploited and that he can't really defend against. Yeah, I guess uh, pat on the back to Phantology, pat on the back to Surface Level Dresden Files podcast for <laughs> at least setting that one up. <laughs> yeah. So this fight is, has worked out pretty well, as well as we might have expected going into it. And Harry has actually, he had a, a secondary plan, which has gotten some pictures of Peabody entering uh, into the Never Never, and there's a whole thing with some spiders that he was using as guards. And the next day, everyone heads off to Edinburgh for the big trial, and Harry is able to get um, Ebenezer and enough of the uh, of the Senior Council Wizards on his side to show his evidence against Peabody, and he lays it all out there. And it is, in fact, this dude who he thought was just a clerk at first. And he was the traitor. So what did you think of this twist before we go into the final action here? Okay, so I will say, well, I'm going to say 
save Peabody for worst of the best. Okay, so I'm going to assume that maybe you didn't like that quite as much, but we'll talk about that in a second. I think yeah, I know where you're going. This is a criticism I've, I've seen before. But after Peabody is found to be guilty, um, we also learned that the ink that he was using that Harry did not use to sign, which I mentioned was important earlier, was affecting the minds of those who did encounter it. And there was some psychic manipulation going on there. Anyway, Peabody unleashes this monster. I think it's called a mist wraith or, or something like that. What happens is then all the lights go off. It's dark, but some wizards start to conjure lights, which attracts the mist wraith. I hope it's a mist wraith. Dang, am I just thinking of Mistborn? It's something like that. But uh, <laughs> it ends up killing those who bring up the light. Harry runs after Peabody. Morgan catches him and kills him. But the exertion ends up killing Morgan. Morgan dies. And he reveals to Harry that Anastasia was really the one who killed Lafortier, but she was being manipulated at that time. So it all kind of comes out here. And I think it's a nice way of wrapping up all of the mystery of the book. Yeah, totally agree. I love the fact that it was actually Anastasia that killed, killed him because the whole time you're like, oh, it doesn't really matter who killed him. We just care that it's not Morgan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was a cool twist. At the same time, you realize how deep the mind control went because I feel like at some level they're like, Oh, you know, it's just kind of, they can kind of tweak people's actions here and there at key moments to, to further their goals. The black council can, but in this instance, you're like, no, they could totally like take over somebody's mind enough to, so that they could kill somebody without even realizing it. Yeah. And hold on to that thought as you read future books, because this is significant. Okay. So final wrapping up, um, Peabody never confessed. The council blames Morgan and the council kind of heals itself a little bit, but Ebenezer is still unable to get enough of a, of a following to go after the black council. So he confides in Harry that he is starting his own kind of internal investigation and Harry calls it the gray council. So this is the group of good guys that are willing to do bad things to stop the Black Council, which was kind of a role that Ebenezer already take it, had taken on. This uh, this goes well. Harry's relationship with Lucio is pretty much over now because of the manipulation. Um, in fact, we're, we learned that maybe his her feelings for him were really never all that real. And the psychic manipulation was always meant to kind of target Harry and bring him in. So that's kind of sad. Like, that's, that's a sad piece of information you get here that uh, that does have some ramifications like Ben was saying, but it kind of opens the door for maybe another woman in Harry's life who had confessed her love for him in this very book. In fact. Yeah. Poor Harry, man. Can't, you know, can't hold on to a girl for longer than like two books. That's kind of sad. And, and most of the time it's not even because he did anything wrong. Yeah. And as you read, especially into changes, like, no spoilers, but yeah, Harry does not, he has trouble with relationships, we'll just say. <laughs> he has it, he has it rough. Some external forces have conspired against Harry's love life. Yeah, just just a little bit. I guess last couple things to wrap up. So I mentioned that we have this new member of the White Council named Christos that Harry suspects as being um, entirely Black Council. And then it seems like Thomas is really not doing well. He tells Harry to leave him alone. And we learn that he is praying as a white court 
vampire once again. So yeah, Thomas, man, rough book for him. And that is a wrap for Turncoat. So overall, real solid entry, I thought, and sets up changes really well. So we're looking forward to reviewing that one. I'm, I'm glad. I mean, I, I kind of wish that we got your raw reaction after you finished changes, Ben, but I think we'll still get a good review out. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so should we should we do worst of the best here? Yeah, so I hinted at my worst of the best. And again, if you're a first-time listener, this is a segment we do where we talk about a moment that we really liked from the book or a plot that we liked from the book that just had like this one thing that maybe wasn't our favorite. So while I love Thomas's character and I really thought that this drove the plot along well in terms of like Harry was trying to help Thomas and, and you know locate him and that was one of the solid motivations he had for chasing after the skinwalker. I don't like how Thomas is being used as bait, especially when you get into future books. I'm not going to say which book or, or what exactly happens, but Thomas needs a different type of storyline. Maybe this is worse than the best for another book, but I would like to see Thomas move forward. And this dude makes like zero progress in his life. He just has a two rough. I mean, Harry has a rough, but at least we see him progressing in significant ways. But Thomas is just like cannon fodder for the plot. Butcher just puts him through the ringer. And and the thing is, too, like if there's anybody that should be progressing along with Harry, it's going to be Thomas, right? He's his brother. You know, they're looking after each other and they kind of focus on the progression a lot. Books like what, six through nine or whatever? I feel like it was yeah. like one of the main relationships he cared about. Okay, Ben, let's hear your worst of the best. Okay, my worst of the best. So I have two. Well, I have one with an honorable honorable mention. My worst of the best was Peabody because it was immediately obvious to me from before it should should have been obvious to me who the infiltrator was. Before Harry even walked into kind of the final scene i was like it's obviously peabody like he's a character that was introduced in this book that served no other purpose than to have access to influential people like the whole reveal uh-huh. of him, like spiking ink and stuff too i really like that part of it because even just talking through the podcast i real i like you point out that it was significant that harry didn't sign because if harry had signed then he could have been influenced by this mind tampering uh-huh i just didn't think that like it was obvious who was doing it maybe not how he was doing it but who he was doing it. would you say it was obvious like at the point when it was all revealed or were you thinking okay this guy's on the screen didn't do anything therefore he is the traitor not only that you knew that there was a traitor like from the very beginning that was kind of working behind the scenes because you, you've been exposed to the black council so like you're you're already kind of hyper aware of like trying to figure out this mystery, right? And then you just kind of are introduced to this. I mean, it's always like the secretary, right? Or is, you know, like you're kind of introduced to like this person who has access to all uh-huh. these people that seemingly is unsuspect, and and not only that, but he's also kind of like a big douche to Harry immediately. So you're already like, yeah. who do you think you are? You know what I mean? Worst of the best in the fact that like I loved. The way that he went about doing it, I thought was super cool. And the worst, because it was like you're watching an episode of any detective show, and it's pretty obvious who the bad guy is. At least it wasn't cliche to the point where Peabody had like a moment to monologue and talk about 
how he was always unappreciated and he never got to do enough magic and Merlin wasn't yeah. mean to him. You know, I'm, I'm, for some reason, I'm thinking of like Incredibles with Syndrome when, you know, he's like, oh, Mr. Incredible, you were such a jerk to me and now I'm going to, you know, really show you. So at least it wasn't that yeah, type it wasn't of that cliche. Bad. And and the thing is, oh, what did you say at the very end? You said something like, uh, "It is time," or "It is." He had like this very foreboding comment they made. So I don't know, it, and that's that's also kind of why I liked was a best part for me. It was because like if this is like a typical member of the Black Council, then that's pretty scary. You know what I mean? Kind of, he's almost like used as a throwaway guy for the Black Council. Then you're like, oh man, like the Black Council has some teeth. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And then I'm going to say my honorable mention is this, was it Christoph guy? That Christos. Christos? Or, or Christos, probably. I'm thinking about Frozen. But yeah, so Christos, immediately obvious. You know, like, who's this guy that's like jumping rank here and that his path was like cleared? Like, it should be obvious to everybody that this guy is no good. You know what I mean? And they're just like, oh, he should be fine. Like, let's let him into like the, the higher echelons of our council. They don't disguise this at all. Ebenezer's talks with Harry and clearly indicates that they both suspect that Christos is up to no good. Yeah, so it's, but it's kind of like, why is the rest of the White Council just, after this like horrific, traumatizing event happened, why are they still willing to kind of turn a blind eye to it? You know what I mean? I guess that's the question going forward. Yeah. So hopefully Butcher has a good answer for us. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he does. You know, this is very reminiscent of when Voldemort just like, suddenly owns the Ministry of Magic. Yeah, so with that Harry Potter reference at foreboding <laughs> as it is, I think we're calling it a wrap for Turncoat. So thanks, Ben, and we're looking forward to recording changes. We're getting Josh in for this one. Changes is a big entry in the Dresden verse. So, so look forward to that, listeners. And if you like Phantology, check us out at www.phantologybooks. Please join our Discord and chat with us. We'd love to bring you into the community, and we'd love to have you tell us what we uh, did wrong. We are definitely not experts, just fans, just fans. That's all we can claim to be, right, Ben? That's right. Just fans who end up binging books and missing key character names and plot details. That's all we are. So thanks for listening to this episode of Surface Level Dresden Files, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, thanks, David.